What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to a Sunday evening of the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the sleepy Chase Thomas, as I am every single day on this very podcast down there in Decula, Georgia. Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Nighthawk's in the house, man. How you doing this this uh, this evening? I I'm good. I saw uh, I don't remember how many days ago it was, but um, it appeared our school played Georgia on TV, and you were conflicted. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, UNG versus UGA. That's the first time I've ever seen it. I don't know if that's the first time they ever played. UGA, but it's the first time since I've been a UNG alum that they've uh, played UGA. So I was like, who do I root for here? And then I watched like five minutes of it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I don't care at all about this game. I can't, I can't do it. I'm going to see what else is on. I, uh, I got irrationally mad the other day because they had North Georgia, some sort of basketball score on ESPN, and they called it, it on the ticker it said, in it was like North or it was like, I forgot how they phrased it, but it was North College, North Georgia College, I think is what it was. Because, you know, they used to be North Georgia College and State University. Yeah, but it was yeah. like all wrong. They messed up everything. And it's like, that's not even what we are anymore. And they're putting us on, uh, the, they're giving us the wrong name on national television. We can't, we can't stand for it, Matt. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, get your act together, ESPN. Know your Nighthawks is, is all we're saying. Show some respect on Dahlonega's own. Um... Better than when when Bill Maher was was talking about him going national. That wasn't that wasn't good headlines. That was a long time ago. I forgot that was, about that. That was a solid shit. That was like what eight years ago or something. Yeah, that was a while back. That was a that was a while back. Oh my god! Now I'm gonna have to like go back and watch that after we're done here. Um, <laughs> well, don't forget, folks. You can listen to the Chase Most podcast. Monday through Friday, and also Sunday night during the football season. Go to chasesonspodcast.com and become a newsletter subscriber by going to sportsrenaissancemancom um, Leave a five-star rating review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. It helps the show continue to grow. Um, Matt, what did uh, how did you divide up your time this weekend? What did you watch? Well, uh, you know, there wasn't a there wasn't a full slate of games really, but uh, we definitely we definitely got some good action for sure. I uh, that that three thirty Miami North Carolina one is was one I was excited to see, and then obviously I think L- everyone was watching uh, LSU Florida, and in the primetime slot. Obviously, I was watching Georgia at noon. You know, kind of keeping up with the with the other games, but there, there weren't too many you were conflicted about in that noon slot. But, uh, but yeah, it was a, uh, just as, as soon we've, we've kind of had a lot of chalk, you know, throughout this college football season. So this was the first, it felt like one of the first, like real crazy upsets of the entire season with LSU. 
How about yourself? We'll get into LSU. Um, yeah, I was I was glued to USC UCLA as a Pac-12 guy. You know, you know how it is. Yeah, and that was a good one. That was a good one for sure. Very upset. Um, may or may not have had a interest in UCLA winning that football game. Um, BYU taking care of uh, the Aztecs and Provo in the snow. No one there was something I was also very intrigued by. Um, so I made this observation. Uh, BYU's black uniforms. I hadn't seen them before, but they did look like Duke. Did you see their uniforms? You know, I actually didn't see their uniforms. They're rocking. They look like Duke. Let me let me pull this up. You are the uniform uh, savant. So I wanted to make sure that I ran this by you because someone said that. And I was like, huh, now I can't unsee it. Now they do look like Duke to me all the time. Wow, that really does. Honestly, those are kind of sick. Like, they those are sick, would, yeah. Those would, uh, I, I'm very particular. That's one of my my things about people rocking black when it's not really one of their colors. You know, some some schools can get away with it, you know, just trying to kind of throw in that black. But um, BYU is not one that I would say should be using black with their given color scheme. But uh, but those look pretty dope. So I'll, uh, I'll allow it. There you go. There you go. Um, I'm hesitant to ask you about the picks this weekend because I I have a sinking feeling that I did not do well this weekend. Ooh, this was uh this was my best week of the entire season. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it that way. So uh, you, are you ready to recap it? I I, I kind of do. I need to like. I don't know. Do I need to get a shot first before I listen to this? So no, you, you didn't actually do that bad. It's okay. just I did excellent. Okay. Pretty much. That's that's what we're that's what we're talking. So I you still have a, a slim lead against the spread, but um so I went eight and one this week against the spread and eight and one overall. Mm. You you went five and four against the spread and five and four overall. So uh mm. honestly that's okay. I, I, I felt I felt pretty big time for both of us because we both called like the only game that we specified the overall and against the spread was the App State Georgia Southern, and we just killed that. You know, App State got the win, but Georgia Southern covered the spread. I patted myself on the back for that one, mm. or both of us, I should say. So on the season, I am a fifty-seven, fifty-five, and one against the spread. You have a slight lead, fifty-nine, fifty-three, and one. And then uh, I got a nice little lead uh, overall, seventy-three and forty to your sixty-five and forty-eight. Mm. So uh, just one more week, I should. It's looking like I uh, I got on the bag, but I might be able to catch you against the spread. Well, prayers up that does not end up becoming the case. Also, got to give a shout out to Duke or to to Duke to Zeus for uh, <laughs> Memphis. Okay. no, you can't do this. Uh, you you can't do this. I texted you about this. You you can't do this, Matt. You didn't send the picture, so guess what? Zeus gets no shout out. None. He's on record. He didn't. He didn't have a picture actually posted. I was on, on record when we didn't get the evidence. Media. Yeah, there was no evidence. I I transferred. I translated the pick for him on the uh, on the previous pod. And I think you got to give Zeus credit for that one. What happened there, Matt? You you didn't give the people what they wanted with Zeus. Like what 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 happened there? Just because that's on, he's that's sick. On, you know, Zeus. He had a long day, you know, uh, going to the vet and everything. So, uh, you know, we gave him a pass. But uh, we'll make sure next week he's he's back at it. All right. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, next week's going to be so weird with some title games and some random non-con... Like, whew, Dan Wolken already firing up the tweets about how we need to get to the end of this season. Um, 
there is so much news to get into tonight. This I feel like this episode is going to be more geared toward the news and the actual games that happened yesterday. Because it was a really weird mixture of college football games yesterday. And, but there were some really good ones uh, scattered uh, amongst them. But I think first and foremost, we need to dive into Auburn actually paying the $20 million buyout and buying out Gus Malzahn. Um, this week, he's gone. They beat Mississippi State. Didn't matter. The offense looked bad again. Outside of Tank Bigsby, and I guess we can mention that Tank Bigsby looked really good in this game, and he's just had an unbelievable freshman year, while Bo Nix has just not really got put it all together. I think Bigsby had 192, the third highest total ever for a freshman running back at Auburn. That Cardell Williams hire as RB coach, really paying off there. Um, a lot more than Chad Morris, it seems like. But I... I found that interesting because we also saw tennis or Texas announced that Herman will be back for 2021. South Carolina obviously paid the $15 million to get hit, uh, to get South Carolina uh, must jump out. And then you have Tennessee, which is a question mark at this point. And then you have Michigan, which I think is leaning more towards like Harbaugh actually getting an extension and then a whole new staff under him. Um, what do you make when, first off, what did you think when you first heard that Auburn actually fired Gus Malzahn and, um, where do you think uh, Auburn should go? I'll be honest. Like, I was a little surprised just because we hear so much of the Gus Malzahn hot seat talk every yeah. year. And it was almost like this year, maybe it's just there's just an understood hot seat that he was already on and just no one needed to talk about it because he just already knew how on fire it was. But it kind of felt like, you know, may, we all wondered with the pandemic, like if, if that was going to prevent – schools from firing coaches clearly that's not no they're they're fine yeah that's not making a difference at all and i guess uh it felt kind of different because usually uh when an auburn coach is on the way out you know he's gonna get blasted by alabama you know kind of one last time kind of that you know just that last nail in the coffin and this it was like oh auburn had like a, a an ugly but decent win to against Mississippi State. You know, he's celebrating, dancing in the locker room and everything. It felt like, oh, you know, Auburn, it wasn't a great season, but come back next year, maybe they'll be at it. And then it's like, no, boom, Malzahn's gone. You're like, oh, wow. I guess I guess they were serious about it this time. So um, I just, when I look at Auburn, it's, it's one of those difficult jobs because – uh, they're they just have so many just natural rivals just surrounding them. They're not the the flagship university of their state, but there's still there's still those same ex- uh, expectations of all of the elite programs. So it's it's a very difficult job, but I I feel like it's a job that's you know you can win there. Like it's not. It's definitely difficult to beat Alabama, but Gus Malzahn isn't the best coach in college football by any stretch. And he and he got Saban three times, you know, in his career. It's basically more than anyone else can say in college football. So I thought it was um it was unfortunate, but I think we all knew it was it was time for Gus Malzahn to go. I am pretty stunned they did this because it's not like he's having like the the really bad year. I guess it's just the stagnation, um, the offense not making the necessary improvements, and they're kind of running out of excuses as to what's going on with this offense and why um, they just can't seem to break through on that side of the ball. I I don't know. I think this is the best job open. It will be the best job open. It's in a fertile ground. Like they, we know that they can recruit. Um, not 
as well as Alabama, but pretty close. Um, they'll get five stars. They'll get four stars. They'll be in the blue chip ratio to compete for national titles. Like I think Auburn boosters and Auburn fans have a right to expect more consistency from Auburn. I think that is a fair assessment for this program. I think it's different for South Carolina. I think it's different for Tennessee, but I do think Auburn is in that group where they should be competing for the sec more often than once every five years. I think um, they're in a position where they just, I think what we're seeing now more than anything is these schools that just can't put it all together offensively. It's like, that's like, what you at least have to have is a compelling offense and show that you can put up enough points to compete with Florida and um, Bama and Clemson and these in Ohio state and these schools that are just putting together in Oklahoma that have figured out offense and are going to drop 56 in a moment's notice that like, if you really want to be in that, you want re- you really want to play with the big boys that you have to be able to score amongst the big boys. And Auburn has not been able to show that they can do that over the last couple of years. Um, I understand they, they won the Iron Bowl last year, but um, those were sporadic things, and it wasn't consistent. Um, it wasn't a consistent offensive onslaught from them, especially throughout the Bo Nix tenure. And, you know, I, I just think it's a lot of pressure for these coaches. That's what we saw with Kirby right? Like he had one bad year of offense with Coley and it was like the seat, not that he was in jeopardy of losing his job, but they were like, no, you you're fixing this offense. Whatever that means you're, you're going and getting somebody else and you are going to hand the keys to someone else who can actually score at the level we have to score to compete with the big boys. And they go out and get Todd Monken and the rest is history. So I, I is that a fair assessment of the landscape there? Well, yeah, it seems like fans, I don't know. We, we, it's so difficult for us to, you know, evaluate what we're truly seeing of like what's what's well coached and what's poorly coached. But it's like if your offense is scoring points, it's like, oh, well, you can. We know we can be in a game if the offense is scoring some points, and it at least shows that the that the coach kind of knows. It, it appears it shows that the coach knows what he's doing, and he can dial up some something schematically. But yeah, when you're not scoring points, it just everything just feels so much worse. And especially when you're a coach like Gus Malzahn, who's, you know, you're just your entire reputation is your offense, then you, you got to do something. You got to make a move because like Kevin Steele, you know, in the last however five years, like Auburn's defense has been good basically every year. Yeah. So if, if Gus Malzahn is this offensive guru, it's like, we need a good offense more than one time in the last five years or two times in the last five years. Like, right. Especially when you look at the the quarterbacks that Gus Malzahn has had, it's like every quarterback. And I think Bo Nix is probably the best example just because he kind of seems like he had, might have the most talent. I mean, I guess Jared Stidham is a super talented uh, quarterback, but it seems like the longer guys are in his system, like the worse they get. Right. And so it was the case with Nick Marshall. Granted, he's a defensive back. He's not even really a quarterback, but it was the case with Stidham. And now it's like the case with Bo Nix, even like a pretty solid freshman year. And he takes a nosedive in in, uh, in year two. So I think you just at the end of the day, I think this 2020 wasn't the reason Gus Malzahn got fired. It's just it had been stale and it's just it was time to make a move. But um, I'm glad you brought up Tennessee just because I feel like, I mean, I guess to, to this point, I mean, you're the Tennessee guy. It, is Pruitt is going to be back for next year as far as we know, it appears? I have no idea. 
like nothing would surprise me because you're hearing both sides. Like I would have leaned more towards he would be back after the Vanderbilt game, but then seeing Auburn pull the like Auburn's buyout is twenty twenty one million dollars. Like Pruitt and his staff is I think around nineteen in total. Um, if you include his entire staff, so like I it it shows that these boosters are willing to eat a significant amount of money to get somebody else in there. So. Yeah, and, and I, I feel like and the crossover the too. Job? That's another important part of this is that there's crossover in the hiring process, right? Like Hugh Freeze is probably their main target for both schools. We know Billy Napier will pop up for Tennessee. It's going to pop up for um, Auburn. I wouldn't be surprised if Mario Cristobal pops up for both. Like I, I think they're going to target the same guys. And if Tennessee really wants to go after Hugh Freeze, then like they need to make a move. And this was something that someone else outlined, which was that, do you re- do you really want to wait another year and then fire Pruitt next year during a full season? Uh, Cause there's been a lot of decommitments and they're losing four stars and three stars. And now they're number five in the sec and recruiting. And that that's a huge thing at the moment. Um, I, I don't know. Like you will probably have to compete for the USC opening, the Texas opening, maybe a couple other big ones. Like, I, I don't think you want to fall into that trap there and hope that you can get the right guy next year. So if you don't believe Pruitt's the right guy now, then you need to pull the plug because the boosters clearly will eat that money if um, they believe they can get the right guy. And, you know, I, I think it's a possibility. I really do think that uh, they can find the right guy. I think fans need to uh, adjust their expectations still, but I do think Auburn is a better job. I think Auburn is a better, a safer fit for a perspective coach um i i don't know i i kind of want auburn to just go ahead and get hugh freeze so tennessee cannot because i really don't want hugh freeze in knoxville um i'd be I'm, i've grown a lot more warm to the idea of um jamie chadwell or uh like taking a chance on him or calling josh heupel at ucf like doing something outside the box where it's like at least we know the offense will be really good. We know that um, it'd be interesting. Like go after Gundy, go after Matt Campbell. He wouldn't leave Iowa State for that job. But like I don't know, I would I would stay away from the the guy who beat Bama and beat Saban a couple times. So I I don't know. I, I would not want Hugh Freeze here, and I also just don't think he's going to be here for the long haul. And I'd rather take a chance on someone who's actually going to be at this program for a while. And also it helps that Butch Jones took the Arkansas State job, so that money goes away too. So. I um I don't know. I I think it's all very complicated and also very fluid. Like I could give an answer here, but I also think it could change in two hours. Well, what's interesting is is I don't know clearly that Auburn is a better job than Tennessee. It's mm. it's be- it's better to win. It's better in shape of like if a if a guy took over today of like who's going to win more games in twenty twenty one. Like I would probably say Auburn's a safe bet, but. I think there's something to being that second team in the state and having Georgia as your locked rival every year. It's like with where Georgia and Alabama are as two programs, just having those automatic games on your schedule every single year is just presents a very unique challenge to Auburn. And obviously Tennessee has Alabama as their locked rival. So they still have the same sort of thing going, but they can at least, okay, maybe you have a, you have a great season, still lose to Alabama, 
but you you ha- you beat everyone else in the East and get to the SEC championship. Like Auburn, you're just constantly the little brother in the West, little brother in the state. And while they've had significantly more success than Tennessee over the last 15 to 20 years, I feel like the upside of Tennessee is still there. I, I don't know. It's you know maybe it's just being a kid of the 90s. It seems like Tennessee football shouldn't shouldn't be dead. You know, it should be. They should have higher standards. But um, I don't. I really don't know what necessarily the better job is. It's it's kind of tough. But yeah, like you said, Hugh Freeze seems like the logical choice for for Auburn, just because he's a guy who's beaten Bama a few times, and he's a um, troll. And him and Bruce Pearl were a match made in heaven. Those two. Yeah, seriously. Just it. It just it has Auburn written all over it. And then also you have guys like uh, Sarkeesian. And then Bill Clark from UAB. Bill Clark would so be the ultimate hire. It wouldn't be sexy, but I, I, Bill Clark's just good, man. That dude is really, really good. I but hope also, he gets a job. A, but what about Kevin Steele? Like, is there any chance they they take they hire from within? Essentially, oh no, he has like, the worst just, college coaching record of all time. But he's he's been damn good as the defensive coordinator at Auburn. There's last no time. chance. Let me go ahead and na- say no. That is not happening. Kevin Steele. I just not I don't think it. Auburn fans would buy into it. But I feel like he's it's, also like it's, seventy. How old is Kevin Steele? Sixty-two. Yeah, no, that's exactly. not happening. That's probably true. But um, what was your comment about Matt Campbell? You saying Matt Campbell wouldn't wouldn't leave Iowa State for Auburn? No, for I don't Tennessee? think so. Or, or and Tennessee. I don't think he would leave for that. I think really. I feel like those are significantly better jobs than Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State can get into the playoff. Like I, I guess think they're better jobs than Iowa State. But I also think, based on the people, I, like when I talked to the Inside Texas's Ian Boyd last week, because I threw out Texas as like a really natural fit for him, just like the elevation where he's he succeeded at a smaller school in the Big Twelve and he takes the big job, but. um he seemed to believe that he was going to stay at the Midwest and stay at a smaller area. So the jobs that opened up, I think he said that there's only two schools that he would take outside of Iowa state. And that's like Ohio state and maybe Michigan. So that's probably what he's waiting on is how long Ryan day is at Ohio state before he gets pulled um, to the NFL. Would be my guess. Fair enough. Um, ultimately who is your who's your guess as to who the next coach of the auburn tigers is and they have to make a move soon like people forget signing like we're in a very important part of the recruiting cycle right now and these coaches making these moves you better make your mind up and you better act quickly yeah that's i'm shocked with how they've changed so many recruiting dates like with the the dead period and everything and being able to uh, take official visits that they wouldn't move back the early signing day like all these programs, like some teams' schedules aren't even going to be done. Like, so a lot of teams are playing this week, and you're going to have signing day uh, here on Wednesday. Yeah. I feel like of the programs that do have stability right now, like, they're just at a drastic advantage over some teams that are having to, you know, either have already fired their coach or are thinking about firing their coach. It just it creates a whole other dynamic of, like, do, do we want to sacrifice an entire recruiting class? um to for the future of the program and ultimately you have to you have to go with what's better for the future even if it does mean a bad recruiting class this year yeah um so did you answer who you think is going to get the job oh i think hugh freeze it seems like the easy answer for me that's i would definitely put my money on hugh freeze what about you i think i would too but i am so fascinated to see if tennessee gets into the mix because they get word through 
Freeze's agent that uh, he's uh, he's very much likely to take the uh, the the Auburn job. I think at the very least we know that Hugh Freeze is back in the SEC next year. It seems like that is all but inevitable, which opens the door for the grossest hire at the grossest university, um, Art Bryles replacing Hugh Freeze at Liberty, <laughs> which is already being rumored. And woof, woof. Um, somebody did just do a hire, though, in the last couple of days. The guy who I saw was getting a lot of buzz. He, I think, coached at South Alabama not too long ago. He may have played there. I'm not sure. Um, Tony Womack gets the D.C. at Indiana. Big blow for Indiana. Great season for them. They lose their D.C. Um, for the South Alabama job, and he uh, gets that. Um, good facilities. It seems like it's a sleeping giant down there in Mobile. Um, giant in terms of FCS power. Um, or I shouldn't say FCS. Group of five power. Um, interested to see what happens there. Um, do you have any thoughts on Womack getting the South Alabama Jaguars job? Um, hopefully he can bring the Jags back. Is that, That's all I got. Yeah. Uh, USA. That's all I got. Is that... Oh, is it Kane Womack? Maybe it's Kane. Yeah, it's Kane Womack. Excuse I was, me. to be honest, I didn't know his name, but you said Tony Womack, and I was thinking <laughs> baseball player, Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. Uh, no relation, but no. Um, Kane Womack. That is his name. Gotcha. Um, yeah, Indiana. I feel like I'm irritated by Indiana right now. I'll be honest. I feel like they have no business being where they are in the polls. I'll just, I'm just gonna say it. Not that oh, the AP wow. poll even matters, but like no one thinks that Indiana is really that good. I don't know. We I don't, don't know, know that's about just most teams in college football this year. I don't think we, we have don't. a good sense on most teams. And a lot of people haven't played enough games for us to have a, a strong sense of what every team is. Um, Mackenzie Milton transferring to Florida State. Um, a suddenly kind of crowded Florida State with Jordan Travis, Chubba Purdy. Now Mackenzie Milton in the quarterback room there. Uh, very different than the Willie Taggart era where he had a whole cycle where he did not sign a quarterback. Um, I guess it's a feel good story. Um, friends and family were talking about this in the text thread, um, today. And I was like, is it, I mean, I guess Alex Smith has been a great story with Washington. They're probably gonna go to the playoffs and win division and he's back, but McMilton had a just horrific injury. We haven't seen him since. And, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if he can still play, but I guess I'm interested, but I'm also just like, when I watch Smith, I'm like, mm, that leg doesn't look right. I don't know if I really want to see him get hit. Like Milton is at that stage where I'm like, mm, is it worth it for your ninth year in college? Is it worth it, McKenzie Milton? But, you know, I hope for the best for the kid. Yeah, and when I heard Florida State, I was just like, ah, that makes perfect sense. Just because, you know, we kind of thought, you know, maybe he's going to, you know, resurface at one of these teams, one of these elite teams that loses a quarterback, but – at the same time, we don't even know how good he is at this point. Like, it would make sense, you know, just being a UCF guy. Like, maybe Derek King leaves and he just, just goes right in there to Miami or something or just goes right into Florida after Trask. But those they have high expectations of where their program's going. They don't necessarily know that Mackenzie Milton is, is ready to play big-time Power 5 football anymore. Florida State's like, we don't even have quarterbacks on the roster. So, yeah, come on come on over. We, we need all the help we can get. Yeah. And then obviously, I think you heard De'Aaron King. Who knows? He might even be back. <laughs> oh, that's right, because the extra year of eligibility. Um, yeah, he said he's he's loving he's loving Miami, so <laughs> he might he might come back. I kind of want all these players to just stay another year and just 
all the ages. 24-year-old quarterback, 27-year-old, a bunch of Chris Winkies out there. You'll love to see it. Um, last uh, news and notes before we get into this weekend's games. Uh, Levy Smith out after five years in Champaign. And Kevin Sumlin out in Tucson after a 70-7 to drubbing. I watched way too much of this um, on Friday, or was it Thursday or Friday? I don't even know anymore. I think it was Thursday um, against the rival Sun Devils. Sumlin never gained traction there, and bottom fell out, and he, he's out. That Those are two just really, really tough jobs. Illinois and um, Arizona. I think Illinois is slightly better, but whew, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what they can really pull in. I don't know where they look. I've saw, I've seen um, Lance Leopold at Buffalo linked early to the Illinois job. He's been really good at Buffalo, Um, Arizona, who knows? Um, Let's get Marvin Lewis in there, pull him from uh, Arizona state and just get him the Arizona job. Um, I don't know. What do you make of these two jobs? All the resurfaced NFL coaches just going to come in Arizona. Yeah. That's Um, a retirement community anyway. Let's just do that. I feel like Kevin Slumlin, I just hope another, I hope he gets another big time job because I feel like Kevin Sumlin is a good coach and I feel like he's got a long enough track record of, you know, what he did at Houston and what he did at Texas A&M to be like, let's not judge this guy for not being able to make Arizona a winner. Like Arizona football is just terrible historically. Like they're, they're never good. So I, I think Lovey Smith on the other hand, you know, it's like he's getting older and older. I don't know that he, that he can be a coach in the college game. Like Illinois wasn't a great job either, but um, I, I feel like I trust Kevin Sumlin getting another power five job. Definitely before I see Lovey Smith getting one. How many throws do you think Jaden Daniels threw in their seven to seven victory against Arizona? Um, I'm going to say 12. Very close. 11. He was nine for 11 for 200 yards and two TDs. Bonkers. That's a fish efficiency right there opening 100 yard kickoff return touchdown to his wallet i think jay norvell would be really ass uh really fascinating at um arizona like that's probably the best they can do but he might wait for something better in the pac-12 um and i'm referring to the nevada head coach or the san jose state head coach who's six and oh i'm blanking on his name i would just go somebody like that knows the area pretty well and but that job that job sucks and i have no idea where illinois goes maybe marshall's head coach Buffalo's head coach. I don't know. Um, should be fascinating to see where their attention ends up going. Um, are you ready to get into this weekend's games, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, let's start. LSU 37, Florida 34. Marco Wilson is the star of this game for unfortunate reasons. If you're a Florida fan, um, did you see the shoot throw in real time? Who throws a shoe? That's all I want to say. Um, I did. I I thought it was a towel. I wasn't exactly sure. I, you saw him like you didn't know if he like fist bumped and kind of threw something as he fist bumped, and you're kind of like, wait, what was that? I didn't think it was a big deal. But then you saw like five flags all come in at the same time. You're like, um, if five flags come in, usually everyone saw saw something. So I've never seen anything like throwing a shoe after a crucial third down stop. 
it's just even funnier to me that Dan Mullen for him to just be like, oh, I, I guess that's a penalty. I, I don't know. I didn't see it. I didn't see the shoe. They, they, whatever. I don't know. It also was, um, saying that he didn't think he was taunting LSU by throwing the shoe. Yeah, if right. He's not really just, taunting. I don't know what he's doing. He just threw his shoe twenty yards. Who hasn't who hasn't done that? Yeah. You know. But um, honestly, I I thought I was trying to rack my brain, and I I don't want to be hyperbolic here. But is this the worst loss you have ever seen in college football? Like ever? Like just in terms of the context? It's like we all talk about you know the Falcons 28 to three or something like that, how just getting or blowing a lead in a huge game or, or getting blown out in a huge game. It's just like so demoralizing and embarrassing, but what is worse than getting beat the game before the big game? You know what I mean? It just, you had this game, a quarterfinal for the college football playoff, essentially next week with Alabama, the odds were stacked against you to get into the playoff anyway but you know, it's like with your with your style and their style, who knows? And then to just lay an egg like this, I was trying to come up with any other games I could to kind of equate this to. And the only two I could come up with, if you remember 2007, West Virginia, mm-hmm. the final game of Rich Rodriguez was there, final game of the season. They're like 11 and 0, 10 and 0 or something. They lose to a five and seven Pittsburgh team and just blow their entire season. This is the era of the BCS. They were ranked number one or number two, and they just blow it against a terrible West Virginia team. There was or a terrible Pittsburgh team. There's, there was no Big East championship at that point. It's like they were, they were just had a cupcake left, and it was going to put them in the national championship. And then the same was, I was thinking, with Miami in 2017 with Mark Richt, also to Pittsburgh. I don't know what it is about Pittsburgh, but they had their 10 and 0 start to the season and then they laid an egg at the end of the year it was you know it was going to be that hyped ACC championship where Clemson and Miami were both in the top 5 i think Miami was number 2 at the time when they lost and just laid the egg the game before the big game and just totally took all the steam out of it and no one really thought that Miami team was legit to begin with so it was like they started 10 and 0 end up 10 and 3 those were like the only things i could the games I could kind of equate to it, but at the same time, I felt like no one was actually watching those games. You just kind of heard about those games happening. This was national prime time. Everyone was watching front runner of the Heisman, Kyle Trask and everything. And to just, you know, the shoe is bad enough, but let's not act like the shoe is the reason Florida lost. You know, the reason Florida lost is because they gave up 30 something points to an LSU team. That's been bad all year. You know what I mean? So it's just, it, the fact that Florida's defense, you know, we, we questioned with how they've shown up in the first half against Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Tennessee in recent weeks. And we, we both said, you know, if they show up like that against Alabama, they're getting boat raced and they showed up like that against LSU and it wasn't enough to beat them. So I, I can't imagine what any Florida fan is, is thinking right now. Cause this is just, this is one of the worst losses I can remember. It's deflating, it's brutal, but I will say, Dan Mullen, he makes it easy to (laughs) piss people off, and um, I think he had a point about Florida having to run the gauntlet in the SEC, and like that two losses in the SEC um, is just better 
or should get more consideration in the playoff conversation than five games in the Big Ten. And I think he has a point saying that we did our whole season and that should factor in. Like the fact that USC and Ohio State now have a very good chance at making the playoff um, and Florida and Texas A&M who played a full SEC slate do not, I think is a fair conversation to have. Even like, not Oklahoma, I guess, but Iowa State or something like that. Like I, I do think that is a fair thing to bring up is like they played half the games in a I think we all understand just kind of a weaker conference that like I I think he's right that that shouldn't matter more he just said at the wrong time and there was no way for it not to sound like sour grapes but I thought that point he made is uh is a fair one that's exactly what I was you just took the words out of my mouth right right there at the end this is what he he is definitely a valid point this is what he should talk about on his Monday Mm-hmm. press conference you know not after you lose the game because it's like this lsu team is not better than your team so there's no excuse it's like well, well we played our whole schedule i guess we should have just taken the week off like clemson and Notre Dame did it's like is that really the mentality you want to approach this with you know what i mean it's just it's such a loser mentality it's like you got beat and your your college football playoff chances are over you know what i mean it's like you just kind of have to accept it you know, I, I agree with, with the premise that it's, you know, it's just kind of, it's kind of weak for, for Notre Dame and Clemson to not make up those game or I guess not to not make up the games that were on their schedule. And for Ohio state, you know, how are we evaluating a five win team versus these nine and one and eight and one teams or even an eight and two team. But it's just, it just sounds so salty. It's just, it sounds like something a fan should be talking about on Twitter, yeah. not something that you want your head coach saying right after you got, right after you lost to a team that was three and five with like 52 scholarship players. I, I agree. I agree. Um, I just, I think, I, were you going to say something else about this game? Were you moving on? I was going to move on. Yeah. If you had anything I was else. just going to say, I, I wonder if, because a lot of people like within Florida realize that like this was their year, right? So if you look at this roster, you know, obviously some people can come back with this whole uh, pandemic and the eligibility situation. But if if the seniors they have on their roster don't return, it's like they're losing Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, um, Trevon Grimes, four of their five starting offensive linemen a few starters on defense. I know that they also have some underclassmen on defense that could be drafted if they leave early. It's like if, if this season goes, goes south, it already has gone south. And if next year you you followed up with a nine and three or an eight and four kind of year, it's like, is this decision to, to just bench Kyle Pitts for the week before the SEC championship? Like, is this going to be something that just haunts, Dan Mullen's entire legacy at Florida? Like, is this going to be like the start of a downward trajectory at Florida? I think it's way too early to tell, but um, I don't know. They, this is just brutal for them because this was their ultimate year and Georgia's down. Um, the East is mostly down. Um, the West has had a rocky year and uh, they had a real shot at uh, going toe to toe with Bama, I believe. And now, I mean, they still do, but um knowing that they're not playing for uh, a national championship opportunity is going to get away heavily on these guys. And Kyle Trask lost the Heisman on this, this game. Like that's another part of this is that that's he's, true. he's out. And uh, 
I don't know. It's a really sad weekend for Gator fans, which I know Did- uh, you you empathize with. <laughs> I feel so bad for him, man. I know they feel terrible when Georgia loses. But um, did you did you get enough? Like, was the explanation of Kyle Pitts not playing was that enough for you? I feel like it just gave me way more questions. I'm like, um, he wasn't hurt the last time they played. Like, the sideline reporter makes it sound like he's kind of campaigning to go in the game. Like, I was just very confused. It made it seem like. He's, you know, maybe he's banged up. We're just kind of precautionarily holding him out to get healthy for next week. It seems like that's kind of gives a subconscious like message to your team that this game isn't that important. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's overreacting. You know, maybe that's you know just drawing narrative where it isn't there. But uh, I feel like I could definitely see that. I could see it. Um, your team. The Georgia Bulldogs, 49. The Missouri Tigers, 14. Really clean uniforms in this game. Um, I saw someone tweet over the weekend. It might have been Logan Booker who made this point. but um, Or it might have been Michael Griffin of the AJC. Uh, that the best thing um, to happen to George Pickens is JT Daniels. That, like, that dude had a really sick catch on the right-hand side. Um, in between two Mizzou defenders. Terrible camera work in this game. I don't know if that's something you noticed. Awful. But... I feel like I've noticed that a lot on some of these noon SEC network kickoffs. Really bad. I, I don't know if it's like their B crew or something, but I've noticed that a few times this year. I'm glad we're not alone because it was it was bad. Like There was some really bad camera work in this game that was giving me a headache. It was uh, it was just really, really bad. Could not find the ball. It was it was not their best work. Um. What did you make of UGA just curb stomping Mizzou in the third quarter? Yeah, it's you. You don't want to overreact to um, you know how Georgia's looked against you know some inferior competition. But ever since JT Daniels has taken over, it, it's Georgia's looked like I feel like every other offense in college football. It's like their their best players get the ball and with an opportunity to make something happen, and they make plays. It's like. You just see them, the way they target George Pickens and Jermaine Burton. It's like they make a point to get their best players the ball. And you even saw Darnell Washington, the freshman, get involved in this game. And they and they, and they ran the ball pretty much at will. Like it doesn't it didn't matter who was carrying it. It was Zamir White, uh, Dejon Edwards, or Kenny McIntosh, even James Cook out of the backfield uh, catching the ball too. It, Georgia just looked looked really solid offensively and with Jordan Davis back in the lineup, Missouri was basically able to get nothing um, on the ground. And that's kind of what I was anticipating with Jordan Davis. He's just, he's just that essential to Georgia's uh, to Georgia's defense. And I mean, if you really look at the the 14 points Missouri scored, it was the, the block punt and, and the trick play, the little double pass they ran. So Georgia basically dominated this game. It, it, it got a little, it definitely got close to the 14, 14 in the second quarter, but they, uh, Ultimately, we're able to we're able to dominate this one. All right, um, UNC sixty two, Miami twenty six. I um I nailed this one. I know over the weekend, um, it just felt like UNC felt more legit, and like Miami was Miami was playing with fire with giving up a bunch of yards to NC State, Clemson, and other teams like that. Where like I think Louisville too, they just this defense has been sneaky bad this year and Manny Diaz is probably gonna have to do something um, this offseason to address that because Rhett Lashley has fixed the offense at the expense of the defense. It seems like, um, 
But Miami gave up 778 yards in this game, the worst defensive performance in program history. What do you what do you make of all this? This was unbelievable, man. I um I I definitely we both felt like Miami just wasn't a legit contender. They mm-hmm. Clemson was the only legit team they played so far and they got routed. So they basically had two good two real good teams. Like I'll give you the NC State win was a solid win, but two legitimate top 10, 15 opponents they played and they've just gotten, you know, run off the field against both of them. I've I've never seen more big plays in one game. I felt like I was watching Alabama play uh, with North Carolina. Just Michael Carter and Javante Williams just absolutely going off on this Miami defense. So it it uh I I gotta take a ride down memory lane with you real quick. I'm ready. So 2013. Do you recall when the Texas Longhorns traveled to Provo to face your boys BYU? Uh, I do. Of course you do. So in 2013, BYU ran all over Texas. 550 rushing yards. Jamal Williams, who for the Packers, I did not know went to BYU until I was looking this up. He was he had 182 yards in this game, and Taysom Hill had 259 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So what is important about that game, Chase? The coach of the Texas Longhorns at the time mm-hmm. was who? In what year? In 2013. Oh, Charlie Strong. This was actually Mac Brown. Oh, is this Mac Brown's last year? This is Mac Brown. That might be Mac Brown's last year. Okay. And after this game, he fired then defensive coordinator Manny Diaz. Mm. And so we bring it back to 2020. Mac Brown going up against Manny Diaz. He says, this guy can't defend the run. I saw it. <laughs> I seeked it in Provo, Utah. And they just ran all over him. And 554 rushing yards, six rushing touchdowns. It was just a, it was a beatdown. It, uh, I love that stat. Good work, Mac Green. Um, Thank you, sir. UCLA, 38, USC, 43, um, one of the dumbest endings of the weekend where UCLA just Chip Kelly, he's got that offense rolling. They look better than USC. Most like USC just won't die. Like Clay Helton. I don't know what kind of dark art he's into, but the fact that he is just pulling this off this year and getting the USC Trojans who we all know are not very good. They're fine. We, we know they're getting obliterated in the playoff if that's what it comes to but like they're they're winning enough they're just gonna somehow float their way in there um this comeback took 36 seconds after ucla went up um ucla 52 seconds they had this crazy kick return that gets to midfield like ucla just for whatever it felt like when tennessee beat georgia off the the dobbs the dobnail boot where like Tennessee got gifted great field position to set themselves up. And Georgia just had this lapse that like, what, what are you doing? And then Slovis hit Vaughn's on a 35 yard pass. And then they're suddenly in field goal range. You're like, Oh, they, two plays and it's already over. They're back. <laughs> they can, uh, they can go up here and they didn't kick the field goal. Instead, they just do a, a fade, a goal line fade to uh St. Brown. who just reels in an easy catch. And that ends up being the game winning score. 
just awful. We'll say, though, all-time great look uniform-wise. Those two teams were in the home unis against each other. They look so good. USC, UCLA is aesthetically pleasing. I will say that. I do like that. I uh, I wish more teams would do this. I just I get so much anxiety when you get down there. It's like you're let's try to score a touchdown. Like yeah, we'll settle for a field goal if it takes that. But let's if we can put it in the end zone, let's put it in the end zone. Let's not leave it up to the kicker. I uh, I like that. But uh, also in terms of the Dobnail boot game, mm. Georgia, Georgia also got a penalty on for like a celebration penalty for like yeah. the previous touchdown. So that also kind of messed up the the kickoff strategy but um but yeah this was a this was a great finish i uh i was impressed with with usc's comeback iowa 27 wisconsin 7 the iowa hawkeyes in, improve um to establish themselves as the the true number two in the big 10 conference um wisconsin was out a bunch of dudes here on offense still so that offense is just bad but they also just don't have a lot of bodies they had three unavailable players who represented 34 percent of the team's offensive production from the year so they were shorthanded freshman quarterback they were just in over their head and iowa did what iowa does and stifle the opposing team while also just not uh not doing a whole lot on offense themselves just enough to to win the game yeah, this was uh this was your classic Big Ten football right here. Uh, we had a little snow coming out. It was uh there's not a lot of offense for the first uh, thirty minutes of this game, but then Iowa just kind of behind uh behind T Good Tyler Goodson North Gwinnett they uh they established their dominance pulled away in this one. I like it. I like it. Um, Utah thirty eight Colorado twenty one. Can I give you a crazy Utah stat in this game? A very Kyle Whittingham-ass stat, if you will. Give it to me. Zero penalties for the Utes in this game. They're just well-coached, Matt. They're just well-coached. That seems like such a Utah stat, (laughs) doesn't it? That is disciplined football. Don't beat yourself. Gotta love it. Jake Bentley getting the big win on the road. Carl Durrell, I was a believer. I thought they'd close it out. Well, that's your fault. uh... So I guess there's no controversy in the Pac-12 now, right? No, there is not. Um, Utah held Broussard, who was really a, an admiration um, for the Buffs this season, held him to 80 yards, season low. That was the game. Um, BYU, team of the podcast, Zach Wilson's BYU Cougars, without their starting running back and starting receiver Ramsey in this game, doesn't matter. They take care of their out-of-state rival, San Diego State. Uh, twenty-eight, fourteen. Uh, Wilson, twenty-five, thirty-four, three, ten, three touchdowns. Um, Aztecs defense was really good this year. It's what San Diego State does. Um, bad offense, weird running backs that go in the first round every five years, and uh, really solid defense. BYU, they averaged seventy point two yards per play in this game on the season average. San Diego State gave up just four point zero five. That was the game. Yeah, San Diego State uh, kept it close for a while, but uh, the Duke Blue Devils, I mean, BYU Cougars pulled it off. I really don't want to talk about this game. I had a lot of fun watching this game. I didn't want to think about, like, there was a lot of a lot of negativity going into Tennessee Vanderbilt, Matt, because Tennessee fans, where they, it, I just, tanking is bad for fans' minds, I think, in general. Like, just to get in that mindset of, like, I want my team to lose. Um, I don't think it's healthy. Like <laughs> I think it's just bad. Um, but I understand where they're coming from. It's like, well, they went. But my also 
point about that is like they either believe Pruitt is the guy or they don't. It shouldn't come down to whether or not he beats Vanderbilt. You either believe he is the right person for this job long term or you don't. It should not come based on whether or not he wins one particular game. Like it's either you believe in him and his program and his long term trajectory or you don't. And uh, we'll see in the next two weeks, um, probably in the next week, what happens here. Um, they win 42 to 14. Um, people were very mad online about Vanderbilt's kicker again. Uh, that is always just, what are you doing? What are you doing folks? But, um, this was, this was fun. And Harrison Bailey starting off seven for seven and then gets pulled for a non fumble and, uh, Pruitt just doing some weird stuff. JT Shroud might be okay. And I think he might be actually pretty solid at a group of five school next year. If he transfers and enters the portal, like somebody should go get JT Shroud. Cause I think he'd actually be pretty decent on like uh uh i don't know smu or something like i think uh if he entered the portal and went somewhere like that that he would actually be pretty solid yeah i'm not i'm not gonna hate on the uh the vanderbilt kicker situation the only thing i will say you're a decent person matt the Green, only thing like, i will say if there's someone on the team that's capable of hitting a 39 yard field goal i'm just not sure why why she's out there for extra points but that's that's just me I don't, i'm not losing any sleep over it uh, i you know i'm not gonna care either way but you're not gonna get online and just rant and rave and uh yell <laughs> at a uh, bar setting about the publicity stunt and how horrible it is for college football and how much of a joke it is and letting it ruin your day it's definitely not gonna ruin nothing vander very few things vanderbilt football has ever done have ruined my day um speaking of but, ken seal's dad listened to the podcast on friday oh is that right yeah he's keeping up with this son i like it i see that from Very, time to time when i do college stuff like there's a lot of dads out there who keep up with their their kids and where their names pop up it's kind of funny there was another player's dad who who listened i forgot who it was it was a while ago but but yeah well um to just raise propose the question you just kind of asked are you a believer in jerry pruitt and, and where tennessee is going from here I have no idea. I don't think I'm a believer <laughs> in. <sighs> I think Tennessee's just got more complicated problems than just Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I think Bailey showed a lot, and that is something that's very important for a prospective coach is like to see what they have in Bailey if they want to take that job. Um, I don't understand why the offensive line struggled as much as it has this year. I am concerned more than anything the decommitments in recruiting because that's his biggest sell is his recruiting acumen. Uh, T. Martin turning down Southern uh, South Alabama to stay at Tennessee. I think it's a good sign. Um, I don't know. I think the this team just, at the very least, if you were to sell me on one more year of Pruitt, you can't bring back Cheney. I think you have to clean house offensively, especially offensive line. You might just have to clean house everywhere outside of Jay Graham, who's done a really good job with the running backs, and T. Martin because he's just such an important recruiter. But I think uh, everywhere else, I probably clean house is like a bare minimum. But um, I don't know. I think uh, he's probably not the guy. But I also am kind of concerned that they're just going to go hire Will Healy or something from UNC Charlotte. Like, I don't think they're going to get Hugh Freeze if they get in a bidding war with uh, Auburn for him. So I, I'm fascinated by it. Like, I, I think if he were to like if they did hire Hugh Freeze they would be better in 2020 or 2021 they'd be more watchable um if they went somewhere else i just i'm very wary of doing the coaching carousel stuff it's just exhausting and i i, 
it's so hard because then you have to basically start from the the bottom again like you're starting over you're building out like rebuilding in college football is painful and cycling in these coaches every three years and paying a bunch of money like the reason this is way more complicated too is fulmer someone referred to it as pulling a lynn swan do you remember when lynn swan just gave clay helton an extension when no one was pining for clay helton he just gave him an extension that made it far more difficult to uh get rid of helton if things went south in usc it's like because he was an inexperienced ad and he was in over his head and fulmer is an inexperienced ad and he's in over his head um, I think I'd probably remove Fulmer after this year. It would not be good. I think a lot of fans would be upset that uh, Fulmer got the axe twice, but he's just not, he can be an advisor. He can be something like that, but he should not be the AD. You should go get your McGarity. You should go get your Scott Strickland. You should go get um, whoever. Like you just, you can't, I think, go with uh, Fulmer long-term. And um, I don't know. I think Tennessee's problems are just very complicated and uh, it's not an easy fix. Fulmer, Fulmer does seem to be like one of the one of the issues they have going on. You know, it's like it, it just kind of creates like a, a hostile environment, kind of like when when Barry Alvarez is at Wisconsin. Like at yes. any time, it's like I'll, I'll I'll fucking coach this team, right? Don't make <laughs> I'll trade you. I coach this team right now. I know, know the offense, you know. But um, I it I feel like Tennessee just might be in a bigger rebuild than they uh, anticipated, and I don't know. I feel like Pruitt just needs a little bit more time. Like, I don't know that Pruitt's the guy either, but I, you just hate to, you hate to cut ties after three years and just start, start from scratch. You know, it's, it's really tough, but yeah, I mean, uh, why did, why did Jerry Pruitt get this job? I think it's probably because of defense and recruiting and the defense hasn't looked great. And, you know, the recruiting class that, that looked so good and, in June and July is, is now a shell of what it was. So if, if he's not coaching good defense and he's not recruiting well, then, you know, the, to paraphrase the line from the office, uh, from office space, you know, what would you say it is you do here? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I don't know. I personally just not wanting to be just so reactionary would, would like to give him another year, but uh, yeah, it's just tough in, in this climate, you know, when, when Florida rebuilds and Georgia rebuilds and, and, you know, Auburn rebuilds and all these teams, you know, get to a conference championship or even get to a national championship early on LSU brings in an interim coach wins a national championship. And, you know, Tennessee is just like, why not us? We have all these resources that all these other teams, we have all this tradition that all these other teams have. Why can't we be the winner? And it's, it's really, I don't, I, I can't answer the question, honestly. I don't know. Um, Virginia Tech, 33. Virginia, 15. I overthought this one, Matt Green. I told you, man. The ACC. You just <laughs> Once you think you know something, just throw it out the window. Like Once you're just like, okay, we can all agree Virginia Tech is a bad team. It's like, no. That, that's, that's when they're going to get their, a blowout win over their in-state rival. You just, I don't know. You just never know in this conference. Virginia just not faring well against their rival here. Um, and also Braxton Buckmeister, whatever you pronounce his last name, was really solid in this game. Cleo Herbert when he's healthy. They're just a different team when Herbert plays. Um, last game I want to touch on here before we wrap up. Um, Army 15, Navy 0. Awful year from Navy. And uh, Army Army survives. A, a really boring affair. I'm not going to lie. This This did not have my interest on Saturday. No, it did not. I, I feel like 
and I was saying this on Saturday, I feel like Army Navy is like I don't I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this game that everyone says matters, but no one actually cares. You know what I mean? It's like it's this game we all prop up, like, oh, such good cool tradition. Oh, this is greatest tradition in college football history. And then it starts on Saturday, and then you kind of realize, like, yeah, I really don't know any of these players. I don't, I don't know anything about these. Te- I don't watch these teams any other time of the year. I really don't care about this game. Let me see. Let me see what ACC game is on. Just I, I watch anything else other than uh, Army Navy, if I'm being honest. Yeah. All right. A um, couple other games that did happen um, by my count. Uh, Pittsburgh takes care of Georgia Tech, and I. Some really mad South uh, Southern coaches this this week. Uh, weird handshake at the end of that game. Did you see that? Uh, as yeah. Jeff Collins walked, in? and he, he denied like it. Like what? I'm what are you doing? Strong. Yeah, I'm getting strong. Like Butch Jones, Dan yeah. Mullen vibes from from Jeff Collins these days. It's like he he grabs your hand hard, man, and you just like yanked it away. Like oh, I didn't even know. I we're we're going to celebrate with the band. You know how how we usually do after we lose by two touchdowns. <laughs> Like, I don't even know what he was talking about. Like, that just, oh, that was such a bad look. Um, Bama 52, Arkansas 3. It's just amazing that, like, even when you see their spread to, like, at Bama's covering that. They're they're covering 30. Um, no question. Coastal Carolina completes the, the undefeated season. They survived Troy, moved to 11-0. Just barely. Just barely. What uh, do you think? Who would you give? I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Bama. I saw this point brought up on on t- social media this week like what do you think about giving nick saban coach of the year in the sec this year mm. i mean you could give it to him every year yeah i uh who like who we is- know he's the coach of the year every year like saban's the coach of the year every year except for maybe last year Orgeron actually did probably deserve it last year but if there's a year like this, you know, he gets COVID, there's some sort of, like, extenuating circumstances, like, I don't know, his team lost a lot, lost a player like Tua or something, you know, and they they were essentially better than they were last year. I don't know, it's interesting how we always give the award to, you know, who's, I guess at this point it could be Eli Drinkowitz, because he had, like, a decent season, or, like, so we're just doing Sam, SEC coach Sam of the year. Pittman, because he, yeah, I was just talking SEC coach oh, of the Sam year. Sam Pittman's probably the answer, I think here. Even with, but their it's like skin. a three and a three and seven coach. They should have been zero and eight, zero and ten. Like that's what we're forgetting is like Arkansas. We just penciled in as not getting a win this year. No, that's and that's definitely true. And he definitely deserves a. And he, they should have won four and six too with that how that Auburn game ended. But um. I don't know. It's just interesting how, how once a guy establishes himself, it's like he essentially can't win the award anymore. It's just voter fatigue. Yeah. Um, all right, Matt, do you have uh, anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap up here today? Um, just that I'm, I'm coming for you uh, next week for the uh, the season finale, man. We're uh, I think I can catch you against the spreads in this pick Oh, can I give you one final Nick Saban stat since you brought him up to wrap up here. Yeah. With no more Gus, this comes from uh, Braden Gall. Um, the other SEC head coaches are a combined one and 25 against Nick Saban. Mm, I did see that stat earlier today, but is, if they wild. replace him with Hugh Freeze, then you'll, you'll bring in two, two, two Saban wins for the conference. That is true. That is true. Um, for that guy down there 
in Tequila Georgia, Matt Green, who you can find at Matt underscore W underscore Green. For myself, Chase Thomas, up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got. Uh, another episode will be back tomorrow. Um, another full ride episode will be on Thursday. Thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, Matt, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Yes, sir. Till next time. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.